1: Your limit, your limitation is only your imagination, and that quote is from an e- anonymous source. And again, that's your limitation is only your imagination. Good morning. I want to welcome you to our April the twenty fourth off the shelf show. And if you, to our loyal listeners, I always say thank you. We've had it on sixteen years. Sixteen years, you guys. If this is your first time tuning in, you're just finding out what are you gonna do on this glorious Saturday. I just want to let you know that you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show off the shelf. And again, welcome to our Saturday, April the 24th show. I am excited to introduce to you our guest for this morning, and I'm I'm excited to listen to what she shares because I learn something from every guest who comes on the show. But before we get into that. I have to ask you, and I keep asking you guys, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? One of my favorite shows is Columbo, and he, he'll he tell you exactly, they'll show you exactly what happened at the beginning, but you, you, you get to see how people try to maneuver and manipulate and how things really happen. If you love mystery and you just like seeing the what's under the surface. But not only that. If you love a good love story, there is this soulmate relationship in this book that I I think when you get to the end of it, it's going to be so sweet to you. And then also there's these five friends, you guys. If you value relationships, and there's a complicated father-son relationship in this story. If you value relationships and like to see you know, the, the hidden mysteries, because there's a murder mystery in here, if you like to see the hidden mysteries and you value relationships, you really value relationships, I encourage you, it's an e-book and a print copy, to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. And if you don't see it on the shelves, just ask the clerk for it, because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. And now, let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Barbara. I hope I say her last name right, if I don't, I hope she corrects me. Our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Barbara Brandling. And Barbara lives on a farm in the Pacific Northwest. Ain't that cool? She homeschools her four children. And stories that she writes draw on her family's experience living with mitochondrial disease. We'll explore that later. That's the first time I ever heard it. Her writing looks for joy in the ordinary, for exceptional in the mundane, for voices yet unheard. She is the author of the book Olive I love the cover, the design on the cover of her books, guys. I'm gonna give you her website URL, and you can go check out her book cover, and you can check Miss Barbara Brandling out, and I'll be spelling her last name for you at her website, which is Barbara and it's spelled B-A-R, B-A-R-A, B-R-A, E-N-D, L-E-I-N dot com. And again, that's B-A-R-B-A-R-A-B-R-A-E-N-D-L-E-I-N dot com, Barbara dot com. We are absolutely honored to have Barbara here with us on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf,
0: Barbara. Good morning, Denise. Thanks so much for having me on. And can I just say props on having spelled my name for me? You've just done me the biggest favor of any interviewer. Uh, I've
1: ever had. I, bet you, I, <laughs> I bet you, oh, my goodness, I can only imagine when people ask you your name and they're filling out a form for you or something, you probably get mail with your name spelled wrong and, and people filling out oh, yeah. forms with your name spelled wrong <laughs> all the time. Oh, my goodness. It's terrible. It is. Terrible.
0: Well, it, it is- Terrible to pronounce, too. You got it pretty close. I think that was one of the biggest things I've learned through having this book published is I should have used a pen name. Who wouldn't choose the name Smith over Brandline? It's incredibly <laughs> hard.
1: Brandline, Brandline. Okay. You know what? You're two firsts already on the show. I never heard of a surname, Brandline. Okay, so you're unique. You That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, So the first few questions I'm going to ask you, Barbara, I ask every guest on the show. We're going on our 16th year. I go back to when I first started the show, and I used to go right into the questions, and I got emails from listeners saying, don't do that. We want to know a little bit about the guests before you start talking about their books and stuff. So the first three to four questions I ask every guest. So to kick it off, can you tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up, Barbara, and what life was like for you growing up?
0: Yes. and Congratulations on 16 years of the show by the way. What a great thing to have going. Oh, thank you. you thank
1: you.
0: So, I grew up in Eastern Washington. I think most people when they think Washington state, uh we picture, right? Rain and trees and uh the evergreen state, but Eastern Washington is the desert side. Uh, and I grew up on an orchard. My my dad was a farmer and uh it's funny that that's kind of where I've ended up now. My I was homeschooled for a good chunk of my upbringing. Um, I grew up in a house of imagination and a house of reading and storytelling. And um, that's pretty, yes, it's how I have lived my life and how I've raised my own kids now uh, that's always a story to find. So, yeah, I have two siblings and um, I'm still very close to... So you grew up No, go
1: ahead.
0: Oh, yeah. so So I grew up, yeah, on the the irrigated desert side of Washington State.
1: Ah. So you, did you grow up on a, you said you, you yourself grew up on a farm as well?
0: Mm-hmm, on an orchard, apples and pears.
1: Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, it was, you know, and I watched this show. I don't know if you've seen the show. Have you ever heard of the show Alone? It comes on the History Channel. I mean, this is nothing uh-huh. like what you would have grown up on. But just being out in nature, there are p- people who come on that show. They get like they, they can go the longest number of days. They're not near anybody. They're out in like uh, they put them in the most remote p- places. One was an island in Vancouver, Canada, and it rained and rained. And sometimes it was cold, and you got to go fishing, and you got you got bear, and you got uh, I forget what the big cat out there was and wolves, and you got to try to get your food and build your own shelter. But being out in nature like that, they all said how it really, there's a, there is a blessing with being close to nature that you would, all the meditating in a city wouldn't give you. It, it just, it, so when you t- talk about growing up like in farm living, you're out there near nature, and I just think that is, there's blessings in that environment you won't get if you live in a city. And there's probably things in a city you wouldn't get if you live in a country as well. But
0: that's just yeah, one Yeah, it's probably true. Yeah, yeah no, I, I loved growing up out in the country, and most of my life has been spent that way. It wasn't until about a year ago that we actually moved to western Washington, kind of in the Seattle area. And uh, if I had to choose between being put on an island where I have to fight off bears and learn how to fish versus being put into a city, uh, I, I would choose the bears I'm finding city living to, like, you know, the cars never stop; they just keep going constantly. The
1: it's <laughs> yeah, 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 that's the thing. That's the thing. With and then I, I've I've had met people who don't. They don't watch any television, none, a, a, ever. They and some people just don't do social media. I have relatives who don't never go on social media. Everybody chooses, I guess, the lifestyle that they want to have, and we don't all live the same lifestyle. Now, when you were a, a little a girl, Barbara. What did you want to be when you grew up? When you were a kid, what did you say, when I grew up, I want to be?
0: Hmm. Well, that's funny. For a while, uh, a writer. I pictured myself being a journalist. And then there was a stint of a few years that I was really convinced that I was going to run track in the Olympics. And I I never actually ran track. And I'm not terribly good at running. And I wasn't terribly good at running as a kid. But for some reason, in my mind, that was the thing I was going to be. Um, What I ended up doing as i got older i really you know it's funny as you grow up the things that you picture yourself doing and the things that you realize that you're actually gifted at i i actually became a jazz pianist uh and that was Wow, the, oh my goodness <laughs> it was the career that i had before uh before i had kids and uh, yeah so uh, somewhat wildly off of what i pictured i'm definitely not an olympic athlete but uh <laughs> Yeah, oh, my that's, God, that's I, I love
1: jazz. All oh, that is so fascinating.
0: I loved so it. You, it was a very fun life. Yeah, very fun living.
1: Did you travel? Did you play? Did you do live, like, live concerts? and?
0: Yeah, uh, I did. Um uh, did a lot of, uh, as a piano player, okay, uh, you do a lot of sonic wallpaper is what, a, what it's pretty, how I think of it. Uh, you know, you're playing at people's wedding receptions and gatherings where you're the ambiance music in the back. And um, so I did a lot of solo piano gigs. I did uh, had bands that I would play with, did some traveling, um, mostly Washington State. But, uh, yeah, it was just a great experience. And I think, actually, it's funny getting to talk to you now. Radio reminds me the most of that life. There's something about what you do on a podcast, what you do on the radio, that I just feel like it activates the same part of the brain that jazz improv does. And so it's a very, very happy spot to be for me.
1: Oh, wow. You just really amazed me. Who or what inspired you? You said you thought you wanted to be a journalist. Who or what inspired you to pursue writing? What birthed that passion in you?
0: I grew up being read to from a very young age. Words were a part of our family culture. Um, My mom read to us and... I started reading myself at a young age. And so I think uh, the idea of storytelling was woven into my existence from a young age. Now, what made me think journalism? That's a good question. I think that somewhere in my early teens, maybe 12 or 13, I got to write for a school newspaper. And I just enjoyed, enjoyed the process. I enjoyed that style of writing. Um, I don't think that I actually understood very well what journalism per se would look like, that it actually had very little to do with the writing that I was attached to. I didn't think I could write fiction. And that's sort of what drove me uh, to think about journalism. Was Okay, and this now sounds funny. Here we are in 2021, and lots of journalism is sort of fiction these days. But um, I I pictured that I needed to be very bound to the facts, you know, only tell things that were happening in front of me. that's something that developed over time to realize that fiction so often uh, is telling the truth. It's telling truths that don't get covered in other ways. Um, telling the truth that maybe we have a hard time talking about in realistic terms. So yeah, probably that first journalism instructor kind of sparked my interest. Uh, uh,
1: okay, okay. Now, before we go on a little bit into talking about, I have two more questions before we start talking about Olive. For our listeners who we, we were a little bit uh, tapping in on this early, a few minutes ago, but we might have listeners who never, ever lived on a farm, have only lived in a city. Can you describe for, for people, before we dive into Olive, what, what is it like, what is that urban farm life like are you do you never see any other person unless you go into a city what what's what is it like? Do you get up as a crack of dawn four in the morning and start working on the farm? What is that life like for somebody who has no clue what that's like
0: sure um I'm going to answer this in two ways because where we are now uh my husband farms vegetables, and yes we are it's it's very funny to me we are in the city there is a big farm in the city but i'm going to actually i'm going to describe what i would say normal farming is because this is very novel to me it's, it's just a fantastical idea that there's a huge pumpkin patch right next to a freeway um my husband is the one that does the farming i'm the one that feeds the farmer okay so <laughs> uh he handles the things that go in dirt um it's it is quiet you do wake early um i think that growing up uh and and to this day Working on a farm, it makes you more aware of the seasons and it makes you more aware of even just the function of of daylight for us. And so um, nowadays we wake up at about 5 in the morning. Um, I my, my role in our farming is to make it so that my husband can do his job well. So I cook breakfast for the family. We start out together, um, prepare his lunch and whatnot. If you're actually not in a city and you're out on a farm, uh, there is a moment in the morning when it's very quiet. And then there's a the moment when all the tractors start. And most of the day you will hear kind of the rumble of machinery and uh, ah. the sound of people talking. It's, uh, there's defined hours. I imagine if I think about farm living It's like you're starting your day at the quietest, at the most peaceful. You can hear birds. You can hear frogs. You can hear, you know, neighbor dogs. And then as, you know, when work begins, you kick into activity, and you can sort of feel throughout the day when there are breaks taken because it gets quiet again, and when the work kicks up again. And depending on where you are in the year, you know, during harvest, those work hours are longer, and they come in at the end of the day with the best sort of fatigue the sort that you have done something, right? You have created, you have nurtured, you have you get to the end and when you put your feet up it's it's rest like I can't even describe because you have exerted. Um, so I feel like uh, that's probably my best way to describe life out in the country on a farm is that there's a rhythm of work and rest that you have to keep. There's no, uh, you can't be working in the middle of the night, it's dark. You actually have to be able to see the fruit, okay? Um, and I feel like that instilled a different rhythm of life maybe than, than in the city uh, where there is a lot that you can do at various hours of the night um, farming I think it's a pleasant rhythm to me
1: wow do you feel more relaxed if you've lived in the city and in a farm do you feel more relaxed when you're out living because I heard farm living is, is not easy it's it's hard work but um, do you feel more yes. relaxed
0: even, even though the hard work, work yeah, but the pace is more, for me, is, is I don't know if safer is the word I want. It is calmer for me to be out. Um, it's work that I understand, right? It's uh, your, your relationships with people, with uh, people that you work with or for. It's easier to grasp for me. Um, I don't want to say it's less complicated. Humans are complicated. But the... Uh, I think that there is for for me, yeah, uh, a certain kind of of calm in okay. being away from the busyness of people, away from traffic, away from just all the noise. It, farming is really hard work, but there is yeah. space for quiet, and I I feel like some of the best things happen.
1: In the quiet. In the quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so the, we will we, we will get into that when we start talking about olive. Now, you also homeschool your children. Uh, did you have to complete any training to homeschool?
0: I no. I have a associate's degree, so I, I have not finished a four-year degree um, because I turns out that jazz pianists, for the most part, they need to go play <laughs> more than they need to sit in class. Um, but no, I, I what I do have is a community of people that are smarter than me, including my own mom, who I, I credit with a huge amount of help in my homeschooling. Um, and I think that that's one of the one of the things that I have learned as we have gone about homeschooling is that it's the focus shifts from okay, now it's school time, right? You're going to we think about sending our kids to school, and there's a certain amount of hours in the day, and there's You know, you jump through. I feel like the focus of homeschooling gets to become education. How am I going to educate my kids? And that might not be in a traditional classroom setting. It could be uh, that we're sitting, uh, learning something from a neighbor that we are, uh, that our hours fit us. And I think, uh, so I don't have special training beyond (laughs) <laughs> beyond having to learn with and, you know, next to my kids every day.
1: Okay, and then their training probably is broader in some in some aspects. You could say vice versa, in some ways maybe not, but some ways, like you said, you're learning from different people. Uh, we used to take, go on field trips when I was in school. I don't know if the kids still do that, but you could go to museums and whatnot. But it's, they, you're learning from other people who have knowledge that, in an area that you might not have so they're getting even not just one teacher but they're getting it from from a broad range of people now we want to talk about olive now i love the cover design on your book Olive. as i was telling our listeners at the start of the show who designed the cover that's like a very intriguing cover and what role did you play in putting that final design together
0: Oh, I, yeah, I wish I could take more credit, but this is all, so my, my book has been published by Atmosphere Press, and um, the cover was from one of their graphic designers. They they handed me probably five possibilities, and I just, I loved this one. One of the, um, and I, I'm so glad you like it, one of the things that uh, comes up a lot in the book is that all of the main character that she's good at seeing things. Um, and I love that they, I just felt like they captured that in the cover, that this is, uh, this book, is it's the story of the world through her eyes. And I. so, yeah, I, I wish I could take credit for the cover. I, I pretty much just said, woo I like that one.
1: Okay. Now, can you introduce off-the-shelf listeners to Olive? Please give us an overview of the book.
0: Sure. So, like I said, it's the story of the world uh, through the eyes of a nonverbal, medically fragile five-year-old girl. So in this story, it is fiction, but it is fiction drawn from real life. Um, you only know what this little girl knows, okay? And her, so you, you don't know what the name of her medical condition is that keeps her from being able to walk or to, keeps her from being able to speak because she doesn't know. This is just her life. It's not unusual to her. And so the entire story, on the one hand, is it's a little bit like sitting on the floor with her right? Experiencing the world only through what she can perceive and what she understands. Um, and in this story, we see uh, her start to come to, boy, how do I not give all this away? Hmm. Okay. She, goes through, <laughs> she goes through some of the, the most basic and best changes that we as people go through. Um, and I think that there is a simplicity in her view of it because of how much she is limited. She can't. She is dependent on other people, and so uh, it it causes us as the reader to experience that dependence, and it It means the excitement of, you know, spoiler alert, there's a sister. A sister comes, and this is a big deal. Um, Yeah, no, I'm not going to give away more.
1: (laughs) Okay, okay. Now, you told us this is a work of fiction. What, I've never heard of a book quite like this before. It doesn't mean that there aren't others out there, but it's, it's, it's this was totally new for me the the design of the book and then the uh the the actual um topic of the book the character and what she's dealing with and you' you're letting the reader see uh experience the story through this little girl's eyes. what inspired you to write olive
0: so olive is essentially a fictionalized version of my oldest daughter's early years, so my kids. All have a genetic disorder called mitochondrial disease. Um, much of this story uh, is pulled from things that we have—I have, have actually—that we've walked through with my kids, um, from feeding tubes to you know the nonverbal, not walking until much later, things like that. Um, I have tried for years to tell our story. And maybe I only find it interesting because it's you know our life, but. Uh, every time that i would try i would i would get to the end of my attempt at a book and i would think not even i believe this it doesn't feel plausible <laughs> to have you know four kids with this we have a, we're a two feeding tube house for Pete's sake it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem believable right mm-hmm. and so what led me to not only to telling her story but to telling it in the way that i did is that i i feel like there are there are commonalities between us as people and our experience as human beings um, that can get lost in the specifics. I could have written a book about mitochondrial disease and it would have had a very narrow market, right? Uh, Maybe you would have read it, but it wouldn't have been personal to you unless you had a mitochondrial kid. right? Whereas I feel like um, if you are... If you have ever experienced being misunderstood, well, then you can relate ah. to all of if you, If you've ever experienced being afraid and not able to, to communicate why you're afraid, uh, having things happen to you that are outside your control, if you've ever experienced the magic of having your first best friend, these are things mm-hmm. that I think are relatable to all of us. And I, that, that gave me a certain... Uh, freedom, I would say, to to put this as fiction instead of as our real-life story. Um, we could leave out the things that trip people up, right? I don't have to – it's hard to explain a, a disease that few people have heard of.
1: But yeah. it's not hard he, to
0: explain what it feels like to be excited for your daddy to come home because he's going to pick you up uh, and fly you around the room. That's related. Right.
1: Yes. Oh, how smart of you as a as a writer to – as an author to take – take that approach. What is her personality like the olive in the book? What is her personal her personality like?
0: She is she's very observant and she is determined about the things that she wants to be determined about. So one of the struggles that um that she has early on in the book that we read about is she gets too tired to eat. Okay? It's it's a thing for her. And so when she has a thing that she wants to do more if she is determined that she wants to figure out how to stand up by herself, right? She's gonna not pay attention to the eating. She's gonna pay attention to that with tremendous drive. Um, she is a she's a gentle personality throughout the book, um, and I would say that she is a very she's very attached to her parents. The relationship that she has with her parents uh, is, is probably the most defining. Thing about her, and as her character develops, uh, we see that what she had built relationally with her parents gets extended when the new baby sister is born, and then we see the beginnings of, of friendship, so she's uh, she's very loyal, but I, I just keep going back to observance. She appreciates the world around her for what it is. She's a very content Person. She doesn't view herself as as sick or as somehow that there's something wrong with her. Um, I think that oh. she is constantly looking for what is excellent around her.
1: Ah, I love that. Now she's how old? She's five in the story, but it sounds like she doesn't even know that there's anything. And you, you hear you hear kids say, "I didn't even know I was somehow different." until I went to school and somebody pointed at me and said, or oh, I didn't even know, uh, how how old is she when she realizes, or does she ever even, that there's something different about the way her body functions? Or does she, she ever gets, even notice
0: it? Yeah, she, that's a good question. She gets a, uh, she starts to have experiences by the end of this book and, and so it's still all happening within a year or two, right? So she's close to that age. And it's not so much that she realizes that she has a disease, but that she realizes that something is not even good, bad, or otherwise, but, but different. Um, there is one incident in the book um, where she she's taken to a playgroup and gets picked on, okay, just for um, for some of her inability to, to get around on her own. And that is, uh, it's, it's a real turning point for her because she starts to realize who, uh, where she is safe. So even though mm-hmm. she gains this awareness that there is something different about her, uh, the response is, okay, I'm different than that, but I am understood somewhere. I'm understood in my home. I'm understood by my sister. I'm. Um, that ends up being what she does with that information. So she never in this story gets a uh, a, a firm handle on what the disease is. Um, stepping into her world, I feel like it's a little bit like a little bit like handing a camera to a toddler. Right? You're going to get all these really up close pictures of carpet fibers and doorknobs and and toenails. Um, you're not necessarily seeing a picture of a house. You're seeing a very focused picture of a portion of a house. And I think that that is the degree of understanding that Olive gets of her own condition, of her own um, where she fits into the world. It's an up-close look at, um, at the smaller things in her world.
1: Mm, I'm already loving this, Miss Olive. Can you introduce us to Olive's mother and father? What do they do and what are they
0: like? So again, you're only gonna know them through her eyes. So according to her eyes, uh, they're they are mommy and daddy. Her mommy uh, is pregnant at the beginning of the story. You know that her mom is home with her all day, uh, and that she experiences she experiences her mom very much being held a lot. Um, one of the one of my favorite parts in the book is when Olive is in the kitchen with her mom, and her mom will set her in the sink. And they'll be doing the dishes together. And Olive is very convinced that that she is helping, absolutely. Whatever the tasks are, you see all these little glimpses of homemaking in this story and Olive's uh, participation in it, right? Uh, A chore isn't a chore if you're doing it with mommy. It's it's an opportunity for a game. And so, uh, yeah, her playing in the sink, we know that, because she knows, that whatever her daddy does, uh, he comes in covered in dirt, and that his pickup is always dirty. We know that uh, he is strong and flies her around the room. We know that her daddy is very funny. And so as the book proceeds and Olive is going to end up having to be hospitalized, uh, it is her daddy that can make stories out of the beeping uh, and can make something about the IV, which was so scary to her, can make it entertaining. So we can see um, in how she views her parents, she views her mom as making life a party. She views her dad as the ultimate strength and safety. Um, he takes her riding through the orchard, so we as the reader get a hint that there is farming involved. Um, but her understanding of, of what they do is very limited.
1: Okay. Now how does, how does her grandmother, help, Olive's grandmother, help keep the story moving forward? What, what's driving her grandmother?
0: So her uh, one of the things that we find um, as the story goes on is that we know that Olive gets sick pretty easily um, and that when she gets sick, she ends up at the hospital. And we know um, along with that that there is a new baby coming. So there is a chunk of the story where Olive gets to spend time with Grandma while they're waiting for baby to come. Um, You get to see that probably everything that she loves about her mom, her mom is imitating her grandma. Ah. Uh, every, there is a, uh, there's a continuity between these characters for, for Olive because there is a safety in uh, these two women that know how to sing to you to wake you up. Who always smell good? <laughs> who uh, bake special things to make the house smell nice just for Daddy, right? Um, and so I would say that as a as a reader, I mean, we can look at this and and say there's a generational picture here. Um, mm. Grandma is the original mommy dog that is protective of Holly, or of, excuse me, of Olive, and um, and so Olive's mom is. Mommy Dog part 2. <laughs> um, she is she ends up being a an important part of the story in that. You uh, get to see that Olive's world is bigger than just within her house.
1: Okay. Now tell us you you talked about this briefly like you said if you had focused on the disease, you know, it would you would have a tighter market cuz people don't know about the disease. Some readers w- I don't care what a physical element somebody's dealing with if you focus only on that, some readers will be turned off uh I' know mm-hmm. my first novel, Porsche is about a woman dealing with breast cancer when I would go out on the road and not tell people that they would literally physically back away from my books and I would laugh and say, You can't catch it from reading the book but and I would tell them it's not a it's not a it's not a depressing story because uh, I think people were just afraid that the to the topic I said it's not A depressing story You'll be uplifted I think you After you read Portia But I mean The the reactions the I got Were like wow They literally Would step away From my desk So um, Wow Can you tell us You know When you talked Earlier Just like Portia Olive to, to make it That universal Human experiences That the character Is having That other people Can relate to Can you tell us About the experience Olive has when she meets someone who she feels that truly understands her.
0: Okay. So um, it almost feels like cheating that the person that truly understands her is another, uh, at this point in the story, nonverbal person. It's her sister. What we find out is that uh, whatever it is that makes Olive, Olive, uh, that she struggles with fatigue, that um, we know that she has... Difficulty controlling her her hands. She's always twitching. Something's always moving. So we get these glimpses of what the symptoms look like for her. Um, when her baby sister is born, they realize that she has, or Olive realizes that she has the same thing. Whatever it is that makes Olive Olive is also going to make Winnie Winnie. And so there is. They develop a, a twin language. They develop an ability to understand each other apart from normal speech and apart from, um, I would say probably other people's normal experience. And that is the key for her to being, um, you know, you can handle, you can handle pretty much anything. If you've got one person that really gets you one person is the difference, you know, between in life, I think. And, um, that, I think that that becomes a very big part of what gets her through some of the struggles. Um, you know, this book has been, when uh, when I wrote it, I was not sure who I thought it was going to be for. I can only imagine. I I, oh, <laughs> right? my goodness. The publisher decided to go ahead and market it as, as young adult fiction, because um, it is a shorter book, and it's, it's not a difficult read. Um, but I am it's amazing how many mothers read this. And I oh, think my our mother, goodness. yeah, our mother hearts break at this, um, to see it from the outside, to to experience this child's pain from the outside. But I think if we're able to step into her shoes, this is common. This is common to our experience. We each have some struggle, whether it's a huge medical thing, whether it's a anxiety, a, you know, you pick, pick your thing. People have Difficulties we have things we we struggle with to have one person that gets you one person that can come alongside wow. you uh, that you don't have to explain yourself to yeah I think is empowering and that's, you know as yeah go ahead
1: no 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 you you go ahead I was just commenting that yeah,
0: was I, I, uh, I... that was what I think um, most Powerfully comes across in the book. And I
1: can only imagine, and then to, to 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 not focus on the disease, but you you give, you you have to make the character you can't act like the character doesn't have this condition, and then but the, people come away with this universal human uh, uh, that's like the most empowering thing they come away with from the story. I think that is so amazing. This sounds like a book you could turn into a series as the two little girls grow up together. I can only imagine how close they would be as sisters. For our readers, our listeners off the shelf who are uh, listening to the show now, can you tell us, what is mitochondrial disease? What is that? What are some of the symptoms? Is it is, a, is it fairly common? What What is the disease?
0: Sure. Um, okay, so your, your mitochondria is the part of your cell, uh, it's the energy factory that takes Food and turns it into energy for you. This is—you you probably have um, brilliant listeners who are scientists and medical doctors who could call in and tell me why this is a terrible explanation. But here we are, broad explanation. Um, when with mitochondrial disease, something is not functioning correctly about that energy factory, and there's—it's a think of it as an umbrella, right? It's—it's it's a wide catch-all term there's a if you were to talk to 50 different mitochondrial patients you would get 50 different experiences but what they have in common is something to do with energy and a lack of energy production so if you think about all the things in your body that require energy all of these things can be at risk so all of your uh, your organ functioning your fingernails growing your speech your mental development everything that takes energy can be at risk with mitochondrial disease and depending on uh, the type of disease that you have um, some people they're able to actually there are they can test and say oh, okay they're missing this protein right and, and it, it's going to look like this for my kids um, all four of my kids have it and it's a bit of a mystery to our doctors because it, it is a genetic condition but we can't find it on either side of either my or my husband's family um mm. So it is it is fairly rare. I think that as research continues, I think that we're going to find that there are a lot of conditions that have been diagnosed as something else that may have a root cause in mitochondrial disease. They're connecting it to things like diabetes and heart disease, you know, anything that requires a lot of energy that can affect a large system. Um, for my kids, we've had, uh, we you know, we have the basic energy thing. I have... Kids that have difficulty with movement disorders, a lot of GI difficulties, um, sleep trouble. You wouldn't think, or I never thought, of how much energy it takes to fall asleep. Um, mm. That's been a, a huge thing in our world is, yeah, you have to have the energy to fall asleep and to stay asleep. And then if you can't get that, you know, what a cycle you are creating. Um, so I think that if, uh, yeah, if any if any of your listeners would like to learn more about mitochondrial disease. There are some great websites that will give you uh, much more specific information. You can look at uh, umdf.org is probably one of the best ones for learning about mito disease. But the the big thing that they have in common is energy. We're always battling for energy.
1: Are you born with it, or is this something you, a person can develop over time?
0: You are. Born with it, um, but there are definitely people that don't show symptoms until later. So um, my kids all showed symptoms pretty early within the first year of life. Uh, there are people that they don't start uh, having trouble till adulthood. It, it's kind of a kind of a game of ratios. Uh, the ratio of good mitochondria to bad mitochondria, uh, or affected mitochondria, however you want to think about it, that. Is what determines the severity.
1: Uh, interesting. The human body is fascinating. It is, yes. I know somebody who has had a sickness, and and some of it's energy related, and just a, a lot of abdominal. They don't know if it's a gallbladder or whatever, but the, the doctors sometimes they like they guess it's this no it's not that they get no it's not that and so they don't always know either so you just keep yeah actually they, they try to figure out what is really going
0: on yeah it's, it's complicated and you know we have just felt very blessed when my oldest daughter uh, first showed symptoms it was pretty severe and uh she was hospitalized and you know, there there are kids that it takes years to get a diagnosis. Just because, like what you're saying, it's you're kind of throwing darts at all these things. How do you figure out what the what the root is? And um, we actually had the doctor who was on call when she was admitted that very first time. He had a he was a, a specialist in rare diseases, and she was in bad enough shape that they were actually able to do an MRI of her brain and could see these these lesions that were apparently just classic for mitochondrial disease. So she got diagnosed within the first three days of showing severe symptoms. And Uh, that's, you know, it still has taken years to figure out how to manage her disease well. Um, But my heart just goes out to, you know, people like your friend where it's like the diagnosis can be exhausting. It can take so long to go through all that.
1: Yeah, and you Um, don't know what it is, yeah. Whatever somebody has. Some people being gluten intolerant years ago, nobody knew that there was such a thing. You were told to eat weed. I had a a writer friend. She said she was almost close to leaving this world, and her and her husband had spent so much money, and she, she decided to stop going to doctors and specialists, and she researched what she was going through herself. She's the one who came up with that she was gluten intolerant. She said, that's before you heard about gluten. And she went on a crusade telling everybody about it, but she said she was good as gone. And they kept telling her Mm -hmm. she had this, and she said she was so fatigued, and she got that and this, and it was all wrong. So she started researching herself, and that's how she found it. I think it's good when you get a diagnosis and it's correct and you can start moving forward from there. Now, being that Mm -hmm. that olive is nonverbal, is uh, the mit- mitochondrial disease, is it similar to autism in her experience and Olive's experience? Uh,
0: there can be, yeah. Um, for some Mito kids, autism uh, does go hand in hand with that. In the case of Olive, um, it's more developmental, that things are things are behind. So she, in the book... She does a lot of babbling, a lot of you know. In, in her mind, she is absolutely communicating, um, and her little sister ends up being able to understand her. Um, but it's more of. I think that I think parents of autistic children will find this relatable, and they'll probably also be able to spot the differences.
1: Ah, okay. Now, how were you able to share her thoughts in the story? Being that she's non. Nonverbal. That must have really been. Do you really focus a lot on these? The, a lot of descriptive things like colors, sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. To really bring it out, being that she's nonverbal.
0: I honestly uh, have in my own life just spent a lot of years on the floor with my kids who couldn't walk or couldn't talk, and um, when you start to when you start trying to look at the world through someone else's eyes, someone who is in a fixed location in your living room, right? Um, It does feel, it feels like learning another language. To have, you know, again, I'm, I'm drawing a lot of this. I wish I was more creative. I'm drawing a lot of this from my own kids' experiences. When I watch them in the kitchen, what is the most fascinating thing? A measuring cup, okay? It's the sound that it makes it's the feeling of putting water in and dumping it out it's a lot of this book is very sensory i would say um it's what is it what does it feel like to find a sunspot on the floor and to wiggle your toes in the carpet because that is her world i think sometimes as we get older and maybe you know maybe in some ways we're hampered by by good health, maybe we're hampered by the ability to get around and go where we want to and see what we want to. When your world is made smaller physically, I think that there's opportunity for your world to become bigger in what you value. Mm. So her, uh, her, you know, it's it's told from her perspective, but you are. Um, these are the things that we can all seek. We can all. See if we're paying attention. um, How the person we love reacts, what makes them happy, what makes them sad. Um, These are all things that I think maybe if we spent more time sitting on the living room floor and looking up, we might observe too. Ah,
1: interesting. Now, what can the book Olive Barbara? What can the book Olive teach readers about communication? And especially as it regards the most powerful form of communication. Which is nonverbal, what can this book teach us about communicating with each other?
0: I think that I think that our best communication probably comes from when we are focused more on the other person than on mm. what we're trying to say so i think um it's it's a book that could definitely be used as a tool for teaching kids empathy, I mean, if if that was the the goal. But as as, as I think of it as an adult, um, so much of what she observes around her, so much of how she communicates, it's just that she's paying attention. I mean, do you wonder how many things, how many of the relationships that we have as adults would be simpler, would be happier if we were paying more attention to what the other person was feeling, to what they were saying, um, to what they were trying to communicate to us. I think sometimes, uh, for myself anyway, I, I can get caught up in, uh, am I saying this right? Did I get understood, right? When, I think when you, with Olive, when she doesn't have that capability to make herself understood, she's more observant of other people and of the world around her. And there's probably something worth
1: you know I'm listening to you and i'm I'm telling myself I gotta do better at that I'm listening to you and I'm telling <laughs> myself it it's interesting like to to focus more on just what the other person is saying, and- as adults, you always wonder what's the what's the person's motive behind it, and maybe it's easier with kids they if they're just communicating, but that's something uh, for me to put top of mind now one reviewer shared that reading Olive taught her to slow down and pay attention to how she parented her children. What happens in the story to help parents reassess, rethink? You've already shown one way where I'm thinking about improving my own communication, but what happens in the story to help parents reassess their parenting style or even any reader, whether they have children or not, to help them learn not only a parenting style but to slow down and pay attention?
0: I think it helps in reading this to see what Olive finds exciting. Um, I don't know if this is just the result of the, the technology that we have at our fingertips now. Um, you know, I'll going through a grocery store. I'll see parents that are doing their, I mean, they're doing their best. This is not a, a criticism here. The kids are, are looking at screens, like they're watching a movie going through the grocery store and I get it. It's hard to get groceries when you've got a lot of kids. Um, but I think the thing that maybe could be drawn from this story is that kids accept as exciting whatever you give them as exciting. So if, you know, it, her world does not revolve around the latest thing, the most exciting thing, it, honestly, because of how easily she gets sick, there are very few people that she interacts with on a regular basis. There's a there's a few we talk uh, I I feel like it's very common to have conversations with young mothers that are worried about you know is my toddler getting socialized enough and like, well are you talking to him like your their first socialization is you and I think sometimes we have um, embraced this idea that well we better get them in a program there better be a sport that they're playing year round there better be activity otherwise uh, how will they learn all of this I think that something that can be drawn from Olive's experience is how much delight there can be in just existing together, in doing the things. In uh, If mom is cooking in the kitchen, Olive is on the floor, you know, playing with pots and pans next to her. Um, I had one gal reach out after reading this, and I was encouraged by her response because she said, you know, I don't like the mess. It feels like we you know, they're getting stuff out again, right? And if I'm trying to actually get something done, I'm not looking for more stuff to be pulled out and put on the floor. And she said what she realized was that that's the point. Of course they need to get out the pots and pans. Of course they need to get out the spoons because this is how, like these are the things that are exciting. And I think when we can train our kids at a young age to find joy in ordinary things, to find that that measuring cup is sort of exciting if done right, right? That it is a treat to go sit in the grass and watch bugs. Uh, I think that that can create a shift in how we parent and I think that it is helpful for raising kids that are more grateful, that are more content.
1: Now, there's all of, sometimes you'll see somebody, um, they might have like a not have physical eyesight but they have even more pronounced their their ear they might be a a great musician they have that ear the ear sharper or it seems that way anyway somebody might be lacking in a skill um uh who was it there's a great painter Michelangelo. i was told he had a difficulty connecting like with other people but he was just awesome painter so all this expression Mm -hmm. come out of him through through his painting does Olive have any like gift or something about her that is really sharper or different than other people Uh, sometimes that shows up in a person where you think something is lacking but if you really pay attention you're like wow look at this other thing they do that other people generally
0: don't yeah I would say her powers of observation I think she just she pays more attention than other kids, maybe maybe other adults. I don't know if it's a – I know what you're talking about. I don't know if it's a, a superpower per se for her in the book, but it's um, – I think it is probably the strongest thing about her character, just the ability to observe. And t- t- what are some other things that you've been hearing from
1: readers about Olive? Um,
0: what are, I, uh, I had someone – reached out a couple of weeks ago actually and I this might have just been the best thing I've ever been told about this book um, this a, she has a newborn okay so she's a nursing mother and uh, she said by chapter eight I had to go and change my shirt because I was crying so hard I let down milk all over the place and I think oh well that was that was an odd uh... compliment but I'll take it that was a really <laughs> I am surprised um, I guess I hadn't thought about this before writing the book but we bring our own stories to everything we read right we bring our own um, our own lens if you will and so it's been really striking to me um how many parents how many moms i should say how many moms are reading this and then handing it to their 11 or 12 year old kids um there's something i think it's always special when you can be reading something out loud or something with your kids that you both are hooked by, and I think that um, that's probably been the most exciting feedback to me is that um, it's a connection. They they've, they've ah. found a story that they can connect over. That um, that eleven year old girl says she feels like Olive uh, would be her friend, and that the mother is looking at that thinking, "Yeah, Olive could be my kid," and I think that there's some. Mm. Something kind of beautiful about that relationship.
1: Yeah. Oh, this this story. The more you talk about it, the more I'm like, oh, Olive. Go read Olive. As we come <laughs> down to the last of uh, 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 fewer than five minutes in today's show, Barbara, can you? I want to talk a little bit about writing for our listeners who themselves are writers or are interested in in writing. What writing process do you follow? Like when you created Olive, did you use an outline? Do you do Character sketches, I mean, you have children like Olive, so I'm imagining in this case you wouldn't do that. But how do you go about putting the story together?
0: I'm always so impressed by real writers that have like a you know a, a space that they go to and that they write every day. The truth is, uh, when I wrote Olive, we were farming up near the Canadian border and possibly the most isolated place I'd ever lived. And um, the book was written with me standing at my kitchen counter while kids ran around me playing. And so yeah. I, <laughs> I wrote the story a lot like how I live my life, for better or for worse. Um, I just kept going. I didn't write an outline. I didn't um, – I wrote it the same way that I think, basically. Um, and when I got to the end, I stopped. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, wow. I
0: think that if... There's something about that. Um, I think it's the kind of storyteller that I am. That I like stepping into somebody else's shoes and um, picking apart what I see. And I, for me, I have. I feel like the voice of the book is more familiar to me if it is less planned because I think my mind is not very well planned most of the time, and I'm not a okay. good list writer, and I'm not a good outline person, but I think that there is power in storytelling. And so yes. I, I stood with a desire to tell the story that hadn't been told, and my kids had a story that hadn't been told.
1: Interesting. Oh, I love it. Can you share three to four steps, Barbara, that you've, you've taken that you found to be effective at getting the word out about
0: your book, Olive? Oh, yeah, that's such a good question. Um can I say that I don't think I do it the best? Um step one, maybe don't publish your book during a pandemic. Uh <laughs> a terrible time. I am finally having my first book signing next month. Okay, and this has now been out. Congratulations for a <laughs> Thank you. I pictured something totally different. Yeah. Um I, I have learned, uh again, pretty much the hard way, that uh Social media is a thing I'm going to have to learn how to do. Um, people do connect that way. Probably my my best thing though has been doing shows like this, going on the podcast. I uh, I actually started working with a podcast this last year called The Deciding Factor because they had me on as a guest, and we just had a good time. And I realized that that um, that you know you have a story to tell, right? Everybody does. You, if you have written a book, then you've got a very particular story to tell. Somebody needs to hear it. If you're willing to go on, um, you know, <laughs> I've been on some really entertaining podcasts uh, that I'm pretty sure were done in someone's basement while his mom was upstairs. But you know what? Uh, <laughs> it's an opportunity to practice talking about it, and maybe his mom likes the book. I don't know. Um, it's that willingness to connect with other people that, I have actually found to be the most the most fun and probably the most effective for getting word out about the book is the interview that is not paid. You go on the show that is unheard of to anybody else because I'm unheard of to anybody else. It seems like we ought to be able to work together.
1: So. Ah, you know, the, the theme is communication and connection. Where can yeah. off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of Olive, Barbara?
0: You can definitely uh, go onto my website, uh, which I'm so glad that you spelled for them. So, yeah, barbarabrandline.com. Um, you can also go to atmospherepress.com. You can go on Amazon, pretty much wherever you buy good books, you can get this. Um, my, as a favor to me, I would be delighted if you would go to your local bookstore that got shut down for a lot of this year and ask them to order it for you. Anybody can get it, and they okay. could do some business.
1: Oh, what a treat, what a treat. We have been so blessed, and she just gave us such a treat this morning. We've been talking with author Barbara Brandling, and I know I just messed up her last name, but (laughs) I want to give you the URL to her website again. You guys can check her out. I love her book cover, and it's dot com. B R B A R B A R A B R A E N D L e i n dot com, b a r b a r a b r a e n d l e i n dot com. Oh my goodness! If you guys came in later midstream on the day show, no worries. Once it finishes streaming, you can go back and listen to it in the archive. Share it with other people, whether they're parents or not parents. That theme, as I was listening to Barbara respond to the questions that kept coming up. It had nothing to do with, like, a disease. It was communication and connection. She must have said it three, four times, communication and connection. And that's something we all can work on and really value and appreciate. Olive might have a great, great story and be a great light guide for each of us. So I encourage you to go get a copy of Olive and Support Barbara and and I gave you her website URL. Thank you so much, Barbara, for taking time out of your day to be here on Off the Shelf this morning. After the show finishes streaming, I'll send you a link to the show to our listeners. Remember, as I always tell you, you are incredible. You are phenomenal. You are absolutely amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. I'll see you back here on Off the Shelf next Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Barbara, thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye for now.
0: Thank you so much for having me on the show. I loved it.